Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Right. Well, we're going to get back into the Gospel of John today. So you can open up your device or your Bible to John chapter 4. Now, you may have noticed we have a slide back here. This is a Jesus collage. All right. I was doing a little work this week about who Jesus is. And, uh, and, and it's really important that we get to a place where we truly recognize who Jesus is. And until we have a personal, up-close, real encounter with Jesus... We fabricate an idea of who Jesus is. And often, we pick a Jesus that can identify with our need, our perceived need. And so I was thinking about some of this. If you've got a, a lying problem, you'd pick the Jesus up there that you can't see the writing. Or right here it is. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the one that's doing the gang sign, okay? Uh, that's the Jesus you would want because he's the truth. And, and if you've got a lying, a gossip problem, he'd be a good one to go to. If you've got a sexual identity problem, maybe you're wondering about homosexuality and all that, you'd pick the one right in the middle. The kind of the sensitive, uh, effeminate Jesus, you know, with the heart on his chest. He's throwing up some kind of gang sign right there. He's got a little halo around his head, okay? We would find a Jesus that can identify with our issue. Maybe you got a drinking or a weed-smoking preference. You would pick the kind of the uh, everything's going to be all right Bob Marley Jesus. He's kind of in the middle. And then you got a whole group of Bob Marleys right down here at the Last Supper. That's the one you would want because he could identify with your preference, your proclivity, and your need. Uh, maybe you've got a, a personal fitness uh, you know, your, your, your thing is about your, your body being the temple. You would pick the ab peck Jesus over here on the right, you know, the one that's been working out and hitting the gym and the cuss fit. Uh, maybe you've got a depression problem. You would probably pick uh, the one right in the middle next to, right below Bob Marley next to the feminine Jesus. That's the fan Jesus. That's the most popular. Put him on a fan. All right? That's G he looks like he could identify with your sadness. He could embrace you in your need. Uh, maybe you've got a materialism problem. Then you want to find your, your identity and who you are and feeling good about yourself by uh, uh, finances and, and possessions. Well, then this you would, you would embrace the boy king Jesus over there because obviously he's got wealth and riches. Now, here's the problem with all of that. Now, maybe your problem is none of those things I listed. Maybe your problem is a pornography problem. Maybe it's a self-sufficiency problem. Maybe it's a profanity and an anger problem. Whatever. What we have a tendency to do is fabricate an idea of who Jesus is that can identify with your need. I got a news flash for us. Jesus doesn't come to identify with our perceived need. Jesus comes to shine a light on our real need. And then he doesn't come to identify with that real need. He comes to eliminate and eradicate that need. He comes to satisfy and fulfill that need. All right? Because often the need we think we have generating a perceived idea of who Jesus is is all out of whack. Because we are identifying a need on the surface when often the need is 
much, much deeper. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about uh, as we look at uh, John chapter 4. Uh, the title of the message is this, Can I Get a Witness? We've heard that, you know, from time to time. We would hear it in a black church, Can I Get a Witness? All right? And then people say, ah, you know, and sometimes you'll hear preachers say, Is anybody, am, am I preaching to anybody up in here? All right? Can I get a witness? All right? So, so just say that with me one time on the count of three. Can I get a witness? One, two, three. That's pitiful, but we're going to roll with it. All right? Can I get a witness? Let me tell you why Jesus came into your life if he's in your life. Let me tell you why Jesus wants to come into your life today if he's not already in your life. Because he wants to take you and radically transform you from the place where you are after he identifies the, the pitiful nature and condition that you're in. So he can use you as a witness to reach somebody else. And I got news for you. If you today we have a Jesus worth bragging about. We have a Jesus that we should just blow up on our, on our social media, in our conversations. Jesus should come out in our conversation because he's worthy of our accolades. He's worthy of our bragging. He's worthy of us lifting him up and talking about him all the time. And yet in 2019, I would venture to say Jesus was not the centerpiece of our conversations and of our social media. We need to blow Jesus up because he's worthy of it. Can I get a witness? Amen. And until we understand the greatness of who he is, we will never do that. And often the reason we don't blow Jesus up and brag on Jesus and talk about Jesus all the time is because we haven't really met the real Jesus. We've met one of those ideas, a perception of who Jesus is. And so we're going to see an amazing story about uh, our amazing King Jesus today in chapter 4. The first point on the back of your worship guide is this, the pursuit of a testimony, the pursuit of a witness. Uh, who's pursuing who? If you're saved today, who, pers who pursued who? Did you chase after God to find Jesus or was Jesus hunting you down and stalking you? Well, we're going to see it today. It begins in verse 1. It says, now when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, and point of interest, John the Baptist had been imprisoned at this point, so he'd been taken off the scene, okay? And then it says, he, Jesus, now left Judea and set out once more for Galilee. So he's headed north to Galilee. But he, Jesus, had, had to pass. Everybody say, had to pass. Now, here's the thing. He says he had to pass. He's compelled by a divine something, an unction, an appointment that's placed in him. So he had to pass through Samaria. This is wrong, and we're going to explain in a minute. So now he came to the Samaritan town called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. This well's been there since Genesis. Okay, so 3,000 years or so, 2,500 years, this well is in place. This, this property is, is, is special. It is assigned. And Jesus, it says, Jesus, since he was tired, this is wrong. If Jesus was tired from the journey. He sat down beside the well, and it was about noon. Now, we're going to, as, we, as this thing unfolds, what we're going to find out, Jesus is traveling with his newly appointed boys, all right, his disciples, his followers. And they got hungry on the journey. And so he says, listen, you guys go get us something to eat. 
All right? I am a little tired. I'm going to sit down by this well. Now, this story is all messed up. Everything about this story is messed up. You see, Jesus is a Jew. Jesus is the, the Messiah, the perfect, holy Lamb of God. And he's going to Galilee, and if you're a Jew, you don't roll up through Samaria. You don't land in a place called Sychar because that is where the half-breed religious rejects of the world live, the Samaritans. It's been this way since the Old Testament in the separation of Israel into the southern and northern kingdoms. And so what happened is Jews began to intermarry the, 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 the pagan world. And so they embraced all of their religious beliefs. And so the Samaritans believed that now they were God's children. And yet their life consisted of religious sexual immorality, um, a denial of the word of God, child sacrifice. I mean, it was a bad place. And so Jews looked at it like this. If you have a son and he marries a Samaritan woman, he's no longer in the family. I mean, he's out. All right. Uh, Nehemiah addressed this group of people. You remember when we covered Nehemiah and Nehemiah had built the wall and then he goes back to check it out and he realized some of those people had come in and he started kicking people out. There's an amazing verse right here in Nehemiah 13 verse 25. This is Nehemiah the prophet's response to the Samaritans who had started coming back in to Jerusalem. It says in verse 25, I rebuked them. I called curses down on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Now, scalped them. I mean, they're serious about this group of rejects and spiritual half-breeds. And yet, Jesus says, I had to go through there. All right? Now, that's a point of interest. Now, not only did he have to go through there, it says he was tired. Now, come on. Jesus, we've talked about this. Jesus is God. He is the preeminent God of all creation. He's the dreamer of everything that exists. He's the architect, the designer, the creator, and the sustainer of everything, and yet he's tired. How does that happen? Because when God puts on flesh, he takes on humanity. And part of, the human, part of human fallen condition is that we get tired. We were talking about it earlier. The older we get, the tireder we get. The less rested we are and the more we hurt. It's the human condition. Jesus had the human condition and yet never left his uh, divine na nature. He was fully man yet never less God. Yet in this moment he's tired and he sits down by this well. So keep in mind, here's the deal. Jesus, God. He shows up and he goes where no Jew has gone before. All right, he goes where he's not supposed to go. Jesus is really good at coloring outside the lines of expectation and yet not sacrificing the perfection of who he is. And so what he does is he goes to the well. In one passage, he goes to a wedding. In another passage, he goes to a funeral. Another passage, he goes to a pool. To another passage, he's at a party. Jesus shows up where there is a need, regardless of what anybody thinks. What a, an example. Because we live in a world that has a need. And the need is much bigger than what people claim the need to be. The need is much bigger than what people identify the need to be. And yet often, we don't take Jesus into that arena. We need to be more like Jesus, taking, taking the truth to the places that need it most. 
So here's the question. Who, pursu- who is pursuing who here? Jesus is the pursuer. Jesus is the stalker. Jesus is the one getting on your social media and stalking you, watching what you post. Jesus is the one that's watching. He's right behind you, watching your life choices. He's watching your decisions, listening to your conversation, watching your heartbeat, seeing what what really moves you. That's what Jesus does. He is the pursuer. You say, well, now, wait a minute. When I got saved, I was looking for Jesus. No, you weren't. You may have been looking for something to satisfy a perceived need in your life, like one of those pictures on the Jesus collage, but you were not pursuing God. You were looking for something to scratch an itch as a superficial surface level need. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Look at your neighbor and say, you're pitiful. Now look at your neighbor and say, can I get a witness? Look at the person behind you after what you just said about your neighbor and say, can I get a witness about this person sitting right next to me? Amen. All right. Let's just own it. The Bible says you are worthless not pursuing God, not righteous, and not good. We're all on the same playing field, all right? All of us, none good, all of us worthless. So God is in pursuit, and he's in pursuit of a life that he can transform and use as a witness moving forward. Can I get a witness? Number two, the person of a testimony. The person of a testimony. It's personal. This is so cool. Listen what happens, because you have to ask a question, okay, is there really like a particular person for a testimony? I mean, is there a particular person for every single testimony? Every single testimony is like every single person, which is like every single snowflake. They're all different and special. Tell your neighbor, man, you're special. Yeah. Listen what happens. I want you to hear in Mark chapter 2 first. It says, on, who did Jesus come? He came for personal people. He came for personal people. He didn't come for the people who have it all figured out. Listen to your pastor. You may be lost as a ball in high weeds headed to a fiery hell for all of eternity. I don't know your spiritual inside condition. You may be headed to heaven because Jesus has rescued you. But let me tell you something about that story. Until you realize how badly you need a rescuer from outside you can't receive a rescue if you feel pretty good about how you maintain your life and you're going to get to heaven because you're a good person you are sadly and eternally confused and so mark chapter 2 jesus says this he says it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick I have not come to call the righteous, the people who have their spiritual condition all figured out. He says, I came for the sinners. I'm glad that I recognized my sinful condition. Because only when I realize and recognize and own my sinful condition could I receive and place my faith in the object outside of me. That's good stuff. Now listen what happens. It says now, in the end of verse 6, it's about... Uh, the sixth hour. It's noon, so it's 12 o'clock. We're in the Middle East. You know what happens in the Middle East at noon? 
Everything shuts down because it's brutally hot. At this time of year in the spring, it's miserably hot. And verse 7 says, now a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And remember, Jesus was tired. He's hanging out by the well. So Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. Because his disciples had gone off to town to buy supplies or food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered, Ha, if you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get this living water? Here is a woman, a Samaritan, and we're going to find out in a little bit. She's, a, she's the reject of rejects. She's the loser of losers. She's the, she's the woman with a broken heart, and everybody knows it. She's the one who's been chasing men all over town. She's a rounder, all right? And she's having an up-close personal encounter and conversation, a religious debate with the son of the living God with the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Verse 12, Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself, along with his sons and his livestock. Now, here's the thing. It's the hottest part of the day. You don't gather water at noon. You gather water in the morning and in the evening. But you see, Jesus, you remember when it said Jesus had to go through Samaria? Because he had an encounter on his mind with somebody who had a need deeper than what she understood. And so he's relaxing at the well. She shows up. She's a Samaritan woman. She's a half-breed reject religiously. He knows that we're going to find out in a minute she's got a history. And he knew she wouldn't come in the morning because she didn't want to hear the chatter. Oh, there's so-and-so. Who's she with now? Who was she with last night? She's got this terrible reputation. So she came at noon to gather water. And that's when Jesus meets her. He simply says this. Hey, girl, won't you give me some water? That's all. Just a casual conversation. That's how a personal testimony begins. With a casual conversation with Jesus most often. And and so, so is it personal? Listen to me. Jesus establishes a testimony with individuals, with a person who is in sin. Every single person who's ever been saved, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, it was because they were a sinner, and Jesus is about creating a testimony in the life of a sinner. Number three, the provision for a testimony. Now, maybe you're here today and you're a believer and you have a testimony, but you haven't really nailed it down. You haven't shared it. It may have been a long time, if ever, that you've shared your personal salvation story. It, it begins that with understanding the provision for your testimony and for your story. And it ain't you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not you. The story, the provision comes from the outside. Listen to what happens in verse 13. <clears throat> Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of the water of this water that you're getting from this well is going to be thirsty again but whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will be will never be thirsty again but the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up in eternal life he asked her for a drink 
Because she knows, he knows she came to meet a physical need to gain water. And he spins it upside down on its head. And he says, he says, there's a deeper need in your life. And it's not physical water. It's spiritual refreshment. You see, water gives life. Water gives cleansing. Water gives produce or fruit. And, and he knows all she's doing in drinking water, she's just satisfying a temporary physical need. And he says, you got a bigger need. It's a, it's a spiritual need. And, and he knows this. He knows that you can't, the soul is the thing that determines the eternal condition of your body. Your body does not affect your eternal condition. Your physical stuff will not alter your eternal condition. You can't be good enough. You can't pray enough. You can't memorize enough scripture. You can't help enough uh, uh, widows. You can't give enough to the poor. Nothing in your physical body can affect your eternal condition. It takes something spiritual to affect your soul. And that's what Jesus is saying. You see, often people come to God, they say they come to God because they have a physical need. Most often, you know what it is? I don't want to go to hell when I die. <laughs> Amen, Oscar? Oscar, I go over to his restaurant and Daryl Daryl and I will be over, some guys will be over there and I'll say something and Oscar say, that's right, I'm with him. And they'll say, why'd you agree with him? He said, because I don't want to go to hell when I die. He's a preacher. All right. It's a good point. I don't want to go to hell either, Oscar. And if you want to go to hell, you are really confused. You don't understand hell. But often people say they come to Jesus because they don't want to go to hell. And don't get me wrong, that's a great motivation. But your need, your physical need and a desire, a physical understanding of an eternity suffering in a place called hell is not what changes your eternal destiny. That's, that's not the, the right object of your affection. The object of your affection shouldn't be fear of hell. The object of your affection should be the one who changes your eternal destiny. And his name is Jesus. Now listen what happens in, in, as we move forward. Or, or understanding this more. John 14, 6, he talks about the provision for your testimony. He never says it's you. He never says it's me. He never says it's something I do. He says, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Jesus says, it's about me. It's about me. I am the provision. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free, absolutely free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, listen, I am the one. I am the thing, the object that changes you it's not you you can't fix you I have to come in and I have to do a work in your life and I'm standing here pursuing you with this passionate desire to see you saved now often what happens is people spend their whole life in a fog in confusion never just surrendering to Jesus and we hope, man, one day when I stand before Judge Jesus, I hope I got it right. I hope I had it right in my life. I hope that maybe my, my, my faith thing, my approach to Christianity, my life, I'm hoping it works out and I get into heaven. Well, the Bible says in Romans 1.20, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly 
seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. You see, in the end, there's no excuses. There's no redos. There's no, oh, I kind of missed that one. I remember hearing a, a hard truth that kind of opened my soul and breathed in there and invited me into the truth of who Jesus is for me. But I was, I was too proud of a moment, of a prayer, of a time, of a commitment, of a thing I said, of a statement that I stood on. I, I, I didn't receive it. I just talked about it. I had an idea of it, but I never allowed it to penetrate my soul. Can I get a witness? Number four, the preparation for a testimony. The preparation for a testimony to even happen in our life. It says in verse 15, now the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. She's like, okay, man, you're talking about I'll never thirst again. I'm not going to have to come down here with all these mouthy, gossiping, slanderous, judgmental women talking about my history. I'm, going to be, I'm never going to be thirsty again. I don't have to come down here anymore. Sign me up. Amen? It says, sir, give me some of this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come down here to draw water. And he said to her, okay, that's cool. You want some of this water now? Right now what he's going to do is he's going to check and see how badly she understands her need for this living water. The preparation, man, of the heart is when the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to, like, step on our toes, you know. It's sometimes you hear a message preached, and it's like, man, I should have wore steel-toed shoes. I'm going to put my feet under my seat, you know. This ain't comfortable. That's the preparation of God writing a story. It's when, it's when the Holy Spirit comes in and up, upsets it, man, and, and stirs it up and stomps around trying to get things right. He says, you want some of this living water, young lady? Then go get your husband. Go call your husband and come back here. Verse 17. Man, it set her upside down. He wasn't supposed to know her story. And she says, the woman, it says the woman replied, I have no husband. And Jesus said, I know. Right you are when you say, I have no husband, but you have had five husbands. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. And this you said truthfully, man, he just, he just shined a light into the depth of reality of who she was. She didn't want that to be known. That's the worst, most shameful thing in her past. And here's this different individual, a Jew coming into her circle, pursuing her and talking to her and unveiling who she really is. You see, the provision for a testimony is when the shell comes off of our heart and the light of Jesus shines in the darkness and you say, oh, wow, I am that bad. Only then can a testimony begin. Only then is the heart prepared. To receive this thing that makes a testimony. So the woman said, sir, <coughs> I see that you are a prophet. She's going to change the subject. Isn't that funny? That's what we do. We start trying to talk God and kind of talk ourselves into a better spot with Jesus. And she says, oh, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Now she's going to get all theological and talk about Bible history with God. Amen? Now, he says, uh, Jesus said to her, believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You people worship what you don't even know. And we worship as Jews the one we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and now it is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be worshipers. God is spirit, and the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. I mean, she's, she's diving in, man. she got it all spiritually figured out. And Jesus, Jesus this, let me unpack a little bit what Jesus is saying. He says, people who worship in spirit and truth are the true worshipers. He says, it doesn't matter if you are a Samaritan. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're red or if you're yellow. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, educated, uneducated. It doesn't matter. The ones who, who experience God are the ones that get called out of wherever they are and respond to the pursuit of Jesus in their soul and receive the truth into their life. Jesus said to her, she said, yeah, there's a Messiah coming. I know he's coming, and when he gets here, he's going to tell us some stuff. The first of Jesus' great I am statements. You see, the disciples knew Jesus was God. Some of the people believed Jesus was God. John the Baptist acknowledged Jesus was God. But Jesus also right here says what? He says, Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. He says, I am the I am. The one you're talking about from past, that's me. The one that you're talking about, the Messiah that's coming, that's me. I'm here. You get it? This is a big deal. You're talking to God. All right. Now, that's what it feels like when it's prepared, when the soil is, is, is conditioned to receive the seed of life found in Jesus. Now, it says about that time the guys started coming back. Okay, and so she's interested, but she, she's supposed to go get her husband, and she don't have one. Now everything's upset. Now, listen, maybe you haven't had five husbands. Maybe you've had six. I don't know. Maybe you haven't had multiple spouses. Maybe you've just had multiple adulterous relationships. Uh, maybe what you've had is imaginary lovers through the vehicle of pornography. And maybe what you've had is an affection towards something that uh, elevates above God. Maybe it's a, 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 a beverage. Uh, maybe it's a food. Maybe it's a drug. Uh, maybe it's a, 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 um, a pursuit of self-sufficiency. Whatever it is, listen, that's, that's the, 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 the thing in your life that you're the most ashamed of. The one thing of more than one often that you really would rather the world never hear about and never know about. Jesus already knows and that's what he's coming with his light of love to shine and say, this is who you are and I came for you right there where you are. I'm not waiting for all that to, to, for you to fix it, I'm waiting to come in and eradicate it, to completely annihilate it. You can't do what only I can do. So stop pretending like you can and let the God of the universe come in and whisper on it and make it all new. The problem was... She, 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 this woman, like us, she didn't have a problem with zeal and passion and drive, pursuing something. The problem was the object of her affection. 
the understanding of her need was developed through worldly eyes. And now Jesus is opening up her spiritual vision to see what he sees and what he knows. And right now, when Jesus looks at you, what is that thing that you're most ashamed of? That thing that you wouldn't want anybody to know. Jesus knows. He pursues you. He stalks you. Not to beat you down, but to rescue you. Amen? Now, let's keep going. 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7 identifies her and connects us with her. Religious people. It's, it's religion. That's the problem that most of us have. We have religion, but we don't have a true personal relationship with God through Jesus, his son. And, and so 2 Timothy 3, 5 through 7 uh, defines this. It says they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power therein. <clears throat> and from such a people, it says, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into the household and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, that's religion. When people go to church their whole life, and they dance around the truth, they hear the truth, and they just let it bounce off of them because they're bulletproof. And meanwhile, they never experience the power of God unto salvation. <clears throat> what would make Jesus willing to come to this abused lady and extend love to her? What, what is it about Jesus? Well, he's God. There's more to it. Today, what makes a man not be abusive to a woman? What makes a man choose to love little girls in a pure way? It's a father's heart. A true father's heart. I was raised with brothers. We had two daughters. I know this much. Daughters are expensive. But I also know this. Daughters change the way you love people. I love my daughters. I loved them from the moment they came into this world so much that when the first one got here, Caitlin, I loved her so much for 22 months, I was mortified of having a second child because I'm thinking there's no way I can love child number two. And yet when I held Kelsey in my hands, the love did not divide, it multiplied. The love of a father, and that's what Jesus had. He had the love of his father in him. And so he could look into the life of the total reject of society and say, Whoo, I love you something special. You need the kind of love that I bring to the table. And so that's how God prepares the story. Let's keep going. We're almost finished. Now, she experiences this love, man, the, it's, her heart is prepared. She realizes how badly she needs something different. She, she realizes now my need is not love and relationship from a physical guy. My need is a spiritual need. I, the water that I came to get only quenches the surface. I need something on the inside 
that Jesus said would just continue to pour forth. And so now she knows that Jesus knows who she is. And she says, I still want your water. And that leads us to point number five, the priority of a testimony. Then the woman left her water jar, went off into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? So they left the town and began coming to him. Listen, she forgot why she even came to the well. She forgot her pot. She left with something greater. Man, there is a priority. Now, I got to go tell somebody what happened to me. Now, listen to me. If you have never told anybody about what happened to you when God rescued you from your sinful condition, it may be because he has never rescued you from your sinful condition. And I want you to know it's not too late because you're still here and you still have a heartbeat. And he's pursuing you right now. And he's preparing you right now to receive all that he has, all that he is in exchange for your half-breed, pitiful, sinful self. Isn't that good news? Can I get a witness? That is such good news. <clears throat> and he wants you to leave with a priority about your testimony. She left and she told all the people. Now, I don't have time to cover all of the, the rest of it, but I'm going to finish with number six, the power of a testimony. You may think your testimony is just not that great. It's, it's great. Tell your neighbor, your testimony is amazing. Because your testimony is not about you. Your testimony is about him, and he's great. Any story that connects to his story becomes a fantastic story. How powerful is your testimony? You say, well, you know what? I, I want to tell people about Jesus. I just don't have all the answers. We make excuses. I don't think they've all heard it before. They won't receive it from me. I don't, I don't really know how to begin. Begin with your story. Just tell your story all the time. You read the New Testament. Paul wrote to about two-thirds of it. He never gets tired of his story. He never gets tired of saying, man, I was a disaster. I was the chief of all sinners, and Jesus came to me and saved me. That's our story. That's our story. Now listen what happens in uh, the power of the testimony. Verse 39. Now many Samaritans... From that town, Samaritans, half-breed rejects, okay, confused spiritually, child sacrifice, sexual adultery in the, as worship. I mean, an absolute mess. This is they believed him in him because of the report of the woman. They placed their belief in Jesus because of the report of this woman. This woman, the woman that everybody talked about, the woman with the worst history in town there's power in the testimony. It says, so when the Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And because of his word, many more believed. And they said to the woman, no longer do we believe because of your words. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this, is, that this one really is the Savior of the world. Isn't that cool? Of all people. 
her testimony led a community to follow Jesus. And I want you to hear your pastor. Your testimony is powerful. Use it. Your testimony is amazing. Share it. And I close with this story. When I was at Liberty University, I had a guy. And <clears throat> we were in class together, and he asked me, hey, you want to go to dinner tonight? We'll talk about our project. I said, yeah, man, that sounds great. He's a big old guy, bigger than me, a lot. And so we go to dinner, and I said, hey, how'd you end up at Liberty pursuing a degree in, you know, in, in a master in divinity and pastor in a church? And he said, well, I've always been a big guy. And when I came from a home that did not know Jesus, man. It was rough. It was broken. And he said, I got tangled up with a group of people, and they wanted me to collect money for them because I'm a big guy. I was a fighter. And he said, so I started collecting money. And collecting money moved from collecting debt to distributing drugs. And so I became a drug dealer, and I made a whole lot of money. And he said, I had about 14 homes and rental properties and fancy cars, and I lived what the world says is the dream. And my, the, the man that I bought my drugs from, he said he had a beautiful girl that lived with him. And I just thought she was the prettiest thing I've ever seen. And he said, I never used the drugs that I was selling until one day I took a snort of cocaine. And he said, it set me on fire. And he said, I became badly addicted to drugs. I lost all my homes, lost all my cars, lost everything I had. Meanwhile, the person that I bought my drugs from that had a beautiful girlfriend, he got put in jail. And he said, I was in the lonely, darkest, loneliest, darkest place in my life. And he said, I called her and asked if I could meet with her. And he said, I told her, I got a confession. I've always thought you were the prettiest girl I've ever seen. And I was wondering if you would ever consider marrying somebody like me. And he said, I don't have anything to offer, but I would love you forever. She told him, she said, I can't marry you. And he said, why? And she said, because I was raised in a Christian home. And I always told God I wouldn't marry anybody but a Christian because that's what I believe the Bible says. And he says, I'll be your Christian. What do I need to do? She said, let's go to church. They went to church on a Sunday night. And he said, we were in a little church. And that preacher shared the gospel, the love of Jesus. And he said at the end, he said, if you, would, if you need Jesus in your life, I want to invite you to come down here. And I'm telling you, this guy's about six foot six and weighs about 280 pounds. He said, I walked down there and told that preacher, I need the Jesus you just talked about. And he said, in that moment, Jesus came into my life. And he said, he eliminated all of my desire for drugs, all of my desire for the life that I had before. And he changed everything about me. And that little girl, we got married. And now we have three beautiful little children. And I'm sitting there thinking. And he said, what's your story? I said, from now on, it's what you just said was yours. Because it's a whole lot better than mine. And he said, what is your story? I said, I was raised in a Christian home. And at 10 years old, in a revival, I asked Jesus to save me, and he saved me. And I made a lot of mistakes, but I've tried to live somewhat for Jesus since I was 10 years old. And he said, and I said, in your story, you have a better testimony. He said, I may have a better transformation. He started crying, and he said, I wish with everything I had your testimony. And in that moment, I realized every testimony 
is an amazing testimony when Jesus is the center of it. Amen. Can I get a witness? So here we are right at the beginning of 2020. And I just want to ask you a simple question, but profound. Is Jesus the center of your story? Has Jesus come into your life like he did this woman at the well? Like he did the man I just told you about? Like he did my life? Has he come into your life as some way or another? Have you responded to his pursuit? Have you received it? And is there power in your testimony? Is there a priority in your testimony? I venture to say probably there hasn't been much priority or power because we have a lot of empty seats in here because weeks go by and we never even invite a friend to church, let alone tell them about the saving gospel of Jesus. I want you to bow your heads for just a second. If you're here and the Lord has prepared your heart today, and given you a keen awareness that he desires to rescue you and he's waiting for you to receive that, would you simply just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. It doesn't matter what anybody else does or thinks. This is between you and God. Just as if you were the woman at the well with Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you need to receive that today? Just slip your hand up so I can see it. so I don't see any hands if you raised your hand I would invite you to come and talk to me after then that means we've all received that grace gift into our life I want to challenge you that your testimony becomes a priority so that the power of God can be revealed through your story and it will affect somebody else's forever story Father, we thank you for loving us with a Father's love. That you just keep on loving us even on our worst day. Father, we thank you that you wrapped yourself in humanity and came to this earth and died on a cross for our sinful condition. We thank you for this beautiful story of a sinful person receiving a rescue. It's a picture of all of us, God. It may have a different color, a different flavor, but it describes us all. So God, if there's somebody here today that's lost and playing with the thoughts of salvation, I pray, God, that you won't let them loose. Your Holy Spirit will just squeeze and work them over. And even tonight, when they lay down to go to sleep, they can't let it go. But God, for the rest of us, what are we doing? Help us do like this lady did. Take the, the testimony, the witness you've given us and make it a priority in our life so that you can demonstrate your power through the simplicity of a testimony. And we'll give you the praise and the glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen.